So two weeks ago, um, we looked at Jesus' calling of the first disciples, right? And we talked about how they were people much like us. Uh, they, they, they were simple people, they were hard-working people, but they, they weren't like the, the A-team. They weren't, they weren't the people that we necessarily would have picked out to be Jesus' disciples, those 12 who were closest to us that he would pour everything into and then turn his ministry over to after he left earth. But they, they, were, they were a lot like us. And, and last week we, we looked at the Beatitudes and discovered that they are the way Jesus has designed for us to live, but which we were hopeless to do on our own. We close by, by challenging you to pray and ask God to do in you what you couldn't muster by your own strength or, or will. And we, we talked about the fact that we don't have to wait for, for this to happen. We don't have to wait for these changes to occur or for these blessings to be received, but we can at least in part receive them now because God has begun to reign here and now. In today's scripture, Jesus is teaching and preaching that same crowd of people. The, the people that he was talking to with the Beatitudes, the, the, the crowd, the 12, it was the 12 disciples first, and then this larger crowd that had come with, with their sick and their wounded and, and those who, who, who had diseases and, and were demon-possessed, that, that, that big crowd that, that was there with him. And, and, it, and it's kind of a good model, one, one commentator had said, for, for the church, that, that when we get to gather in Bible study or in worship on Sunday morning and we, and we look into God's Word, it's kind of first for us, but then there are others who are here, right? We, we bring friends and, and family and, and folks who are on varying uh, kind of levels with the Lord. Some of them are closer to Him than, than others. And, but it, it's, so it's for them as well. It's, it's for all of us. And it was for, for all of the people who were, were with Him that, that day as well. And so Jesus begins to, to teach on this mountainside and he offers these words from, from Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be in verse 13. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. But chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. It's a very short section today. And it's familiar. But I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit can open it in fresh ways for us and remind us even of things that we have once known but maybe had forgotten. And Jesus goes and he, and he teaches this. He says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, to properly understand this passage, you must read it in light of the preceding verses. Remember, Jesus' instruction in the Beatitudes was the outline of what his people, his disciples, his followers, his church are to be. And, and we are these things, the, the results he mentioned, and when we are these things, the results that, that he mentioned are great blessings for us. Essentially, in verses 3 to 12, are a model for, for the heart and life of the follower of Jesus. They are the portrait of his disciples. We should look like them. Poor in spirit, mournful, meek, hungry, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We should be merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. And yes, we should even be persecuted. So then Jesus continues from that section into the section that we have today. 
And he starts with this imagery of salt. I love salt. I'm not sure about you, but I, I mean, I, I love salt. Um, and in fact, I, I feel bad about it sometimes because sometimes I'll go out to dinner or lunch with people um, who can't have salt, you know, for medical conditions or for whatever reason. Actually, um, my friend Scott, our, our deacon, um, is one of those guys. We go to lunch pretty regularly, and we'll sit down, and we typically go to A&M Pizza in Campbelltown. Uh, he just walked in, so he doesn't even know I'm talking about him. But uh, uh, we go to A&M Pizza in Campbelltown, and um, we sit down, or we order first. Scott gets his drink, and he gets his sandwich, typically a turkey, just so you know uh, what he orders. And I, I, I order mine. I get a ham and cheese with fries and, and a Coke. And then we go sit down, we get our food, my fries are in front of me, and I immediately go grab the salt shaker, and I can't do it because it'll go over the floor, but I'm just going, and it, sometimes it's a good, like, five seconds, right? I'm like, I am loading on the salt, and I feel, I actually apologize to Scott, or I even asked, I think he probably doesn't even remember, but the first time we ate together, I was like, does it bother you if I use this? And he's like, no, I'm used to it by now. So, but I'm just loading on, and he can't have it. So I feel a little bad sometimes, but I love salt to the point where like I, I'm kind of discreetly like taking the french fry and like pushing it into the salt on the tray to get a little extra on as I'm putting it on my mouth but it, it, it's really good I don't know what you like salt on I even like it on my watermelon I don't know if you've had it on watermelon or not uh, somebody thank you oh Ramona that's awesome most people oh I got a couple of thumbs up my family my family it must be a southern thing um it's oh, Maggie said it's okay dad it's okay yeah, but I like it. It brings out the flavor. It just brings out the flavor of the watermelon, particularly if it's not a particularly ripe watermelon. You know, it, it, helps, it, it helps it a lot. Salt's great because it draws out the flavor of the food that you put it on. On its own, I mean, I don't think I really like salt so much by itself. If it was like part of like a, a side dish in a meal, I wouldn't just load it on my plate and eat it with a spoon. But when it's with something... It enhances the flavor and can make it just that much better. But its value in the kitchen, in, 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 in the culinary area, its, its value is based on its flavor, right? If salt itself has no flavor, even though it's not like the best by itself, but if it had no flavor to, to draw out the other flavors in food, it would be worthless. Like I wouldn't put it on my fries. I, 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 I wouldn't like push it, my fries into the salt and throw them out. I wouldn't put it on my watermelon and then put that in my mouth because it wouldn't change anything. It would remain, it would, all those other foods would remain exactly as they were and it would be worthless if it had no saltiness. No flavor, no purpose, no salt. Some of you are hunters, right? I know uh, this was with Ron the other week and he was saying how he put out a salt, I think a salt block for the deer and a camera to kind of catch them when they, they came up. But if that, if that block of salt that you put out sometimes to watch deer um, had no saltiness, the deer would not come to that block. Because the whole point is they like the flavor of it. They like to lick it. But if it wasn't there, it, they would find something else to eat, something else to enjoy. That salt would be worthless to them. And, and if salt isn't salty, it can't be made salty again. Actually, scientifically, um, salt can't lose its saltiness. Common salt comprises a very stable, uh, simple chemical compound called sodium chloride, which has that salty flavor. Because of its chemical stability, it doesn't lose its potency. It, it's just salt. It can sit on your shelf for years 
and you take it off, and it still tastes like salt. It's an extremely stable compound. And people of Jesus' time knew this. They didn't know all the chemical like, issues or the chemical like, theory behind it, but they knew that salt was salt. That salt didn't change. So it's almost like here in, in our text today, Jesus is kind of speaking metaphorically. It's, it, it's not meant to be taken literally. I, I think what he's trying to say is, and this is in my southern, <laughs> he wasn't a southerner, but he's like saying, like, y'all, salt is salt. Salt doesn't change. It doesn't lose its saltiness. It's always remained salt. But if it looked like salt, yet didn't have its taste, it would be worthless. In fact, it wouldn't actually be salt. And all that we would do with it was to be throw it out on the road and it would be trampled. Salt that isn't salty has no use or purpose and in the end, really isn't salt at all. That's why James teaches that in James chapter 1, starting in verse 22, he says, Do not merely listen to the world and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. It's not just lacking. It's not just so-so. It is worthless. See, what Jesus seems to be getting at here is that salt can't just look like salt. It must also taste like salt. Salt must be at its very core salt. But he's really not talking about salt at all, right? He's actually talking about us. We can't just look like Christians. We must at our very core be Christians. Our actions must be motivated from the core of our being, a heart that has been transformed through Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter what your story looks like. It could look like Mickey's. It could look like mine. I was saved when I was 12 years old at a Christian church camp. It's kind of like boring and bland, but it wasn't at the same time as Mickey shared earlier. What matters is that it happened. That's why we can't be the Beatitudes on our own. It's, it's why we must be changed, redeemed, empowered by God to do them. On our own, we may look like salt, but we don't taste like salt. Let me repeat that. On our own, we may look like salt, but on our own, we can't taste like salt. Because without Christ at our core, we are lifeless and powerless to do the good that God has called us to do and be. One Bible scholar put it this way. He said, Jesus refers here to more than good deeds. He refers to a good character. Such character comes only by embracing God's kingship as a gift. The images of salt and light evoke consideration less of of what we do than of what we are. 
If only true disciples count before God, and true discipleship means treating both friends and enemies kindly, the salt and light paragraph becomes a resounding warning to heed Jesus' teaching on meekness in the preceding paragraph. There's this, this old, old story of a first century rabbi, a, a teacher, a Jewish teacher. He, he lived at the tail end of the first century, and he was asked one day um, uh, how one could make salt that had lost its flavor salty again. And he thought for a moment, and then he replied like this. He says, what you need to do is you need to mix it with, this is kind of gross, but mix it with the afterbirth of a mule, which is kind of gross, right? Kind of gross. As most Jews would have known, many of you know today, mules are sterile, right? They, they can't have offspring. And so what, what, what he was, the point he was trying to make was this. It's impossible. You can't do it. Just as a mule can't have have offspring. You can't make salt salty again. And Jesus' point is this. Christians who look the part, but at their core are not the part, are worthless. Those who claim to be Christians and look like it on Sundays and when they're around their brothers and sisters, but when they're with others or by themselves, don't seek a holy lifestyle. Don't seek don't ask God to break their sin and happily enjoy a lifestyle that is contrary to God's design and His desire for us. They're, they're kind of like that saltless salt that gets thrown out and trampled. And that trampled piece is like a really graphic image if you like look at it in original language and in context. It's very graphic, trampled, being trampled. Those who are claiming to be disciples but are not should know that the value of our apparently good actions is worthless and will be thrown out, not recognized by God. Doing things is not enough. We can do things without Christ, but being something is completely different. Being can only be accomplished by God. And he goes on and he talks about light after salt. And... um, he talks about our need to be light. Very carefully pick this up. This here is a um, first century oil lamp. It's, uh, it's a reproduction. I told my family it was real, but it's actually a reproduction. Um, but it's exactly what they would have, it's very much what they would have looked like. It was very simple. You put olive oil in here. Literally, that's what I did. I poured olive oil in here. You have a little wick that goes down and and absorbs the olive oil, and then you light it. And this is what Jesus was talking about, about the lamp on a stand in a house. This is exactly what he was talking about right here. A few weeks ago, um, on that snow Sunday, I'm going to sit this back down here so I don't spill our olive oil. But on our snow Sunday a few weeks ago, our family had planned to go to Baltimore after worship uh, to take the girls uh, to the Cheesecake Factory, and we went. There's actually two Washington monuments. We didn't even know that. There's one in D.C., but then there's also one in Baltimore. It's a little different, but it's still a Washington Monument. And we went up to the Washington Monument, and then um, we took them to the Maryland Science Center the next day, which was a lot of fun. And uh, it was very cold, but it was a lot of fun. Um, 
And at the Maryland Science Center, they have this planetarium that you can go in and see this show about outer space, which is pretty cool. So we went to the planetarium, and we were sitting there, and they started. And the first image they showed you on the ceiling was um, of Baltimore city sky with Baltimore lights uh, shining, like all the city lights, so from the buildings and the lampposts and the cars and all that. So, and you could see like maybe 12 stars. You couldn't see very many stars. And they said, now let's take out all the light pollution that Baltimore creates, and we're going to show you what the, what the sky would look like if all the lights in Baltimore were turned off. And they did that, and then you could see like literally millions of stars. It was amazing. It was amazing. You could just see them all. But the thing that I think I kind of took away from that as I was like preparing for today was like how bright Baltimore must be, right? Like how much light it must create. I mean, if, if, if Baltimore was up on a hill, you could see it from miles and miles and miles away if there were no obstructions. None at all. You could just see it for, for, from so, so, so far away. It wouldn't be able to be hidden. It would have been like this city on a hill that Jesus was referring to. In fact, cities at that time, Jesus' time, were, were often built upon other cities. Um, you know, nations would come in, they'd conquer one nation, they'd tear down its city, they'd build a new city right on top of the old one. They'd level it, bring in some dirt, put in another city. This happened enough times that there started to be, uh, cities started to be formed on hills because you'd knock one down, put up another one, knock one down, put up another one, knock one down, put up another one. It was actually, it's actually called a tell. Like they, they, they were built and they just started rising up high. So cities were actually on hills a lot of times because they were built upon the foundation of other cities. That's why when you go to Israel and sometimes people will do archaeology, they'll, they'll go down from one layer and find one city. They'll go down another layer and find another city. They'll go down another layer and find another city. So cities were on hills. They, they sat up. And so when you came closer to, to a city, you would be able to see it because it was up high. It shined. You could see it from far, far away. It was literally a city on a hill. They were unmistakable. One writer also noted that the city on a hill may have, that, that Jesus was referring to may have been likened to Jerusalem, which was believed by the Jews to be the greatest, most holy city in the entire world. It was a light to the world, calling all to holy living and worshipful spirits. The same was true of a lamp. That replica I, I have here this morning um, would have been found in homes. They'd sit it on a little lampstand, and it would, several of them would light an entire house. It doesn't give a great deal of light here, but if you imagine that there was, most houses at the time didn't have many windows, right? So they were very, very dark. So you had a few of those, even small lamps, that little bit of light lit up the entire house. And, and, and they were important because when your kids woke up crying at night and you needed to get to them, you needed to be able to see something so you didn't stub, stub your toe on, on a table or, or whatever it might be, you know, or you had to go to the bathroom. You just needed to get there. You could take the lamp with you and, and, and go. Like they, they were incredibly important because they didn't have a switch that they flipped for lights to come on, right? They didn't have night lights that they plugged into the outlet in the wall. This was it right here. Consequently, if you had one of these lamps lit in your house at night, you'd be crazy to cover it up with a bowl. That would make absolutely no sense. It would be self-defeating to cover that up with a bowl. 
Because it was your only source of light. Similar to salt that wasn't salty, a lamp that was hidden under a bowl was pointless. Its primary function was eliminated if hidden. And Jesus likens a lit lamp that shines from a stand, providing light in a dark house so that all can see to how we should live in the darkness of our world. The difference is, we don't shine our own light. We radiate a light whose source is from beyond us. John tells us of this light in John chapter 1 when he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus came to shine in the darkness much like that lamp. And we are to follow in His footsteps. To effectively become Him, carrying His message, His light, into this continually dark, broken, and hurting world. We are now the lamps carrying the light and hope of Christ to our world. It's been said that disciples cannot be content to remain in the world in a merely theoretical sense. They must be what they are, letting their light shine for their Father's honor. While Jesus is opposed to doing good works publicly for one's own honor, He exhorts His disciples to do those good works publicly for God's honor. We must be more than theoretical Christians. Meaning, we say the right things, go to worship, look the part, but don't have the substance. The Holy Spirit. Which comes from an intimate, personal, eternity-changing relationship with Jesus. And when we have that relationship, it influences everything that we do. We can't simply offer a hollow, self-glorifying devotion to the rituals, practices, and customs of Christianity. Can't just come here, is what that means, and go through the motions. Can't just go to a Bible study and go through the motions. We can't just help somebody in our community, shoveling their snow or taking them a meal, and just go through the motions. That's hollow. That's about us, making us look good. But we must live life for God by His power and for His glory, doing all this through the power He provides through His Holy Spirit living in us. You can do all the right things and they can mean nothing. And you, or you can do all the right things and they can mean everything. Based on your motivation. Jesus is kind of dealing with two different struggles today. The salt is kind of the group of us who look like a Christian, smell like a Christian, walk like a Christian, talk like a Christian, act like a Christian, but aren't really Christians. And the light are those of us who really are believers, but in the end of the day, don't want to live like them. Maybe intentionally, or we kind of cover ourselves up. We hide ourselves because of what other people will think, or nervous about being persecuted in some way. 
so we're not bold. Either way, that's not God's plan for your life. It's not God's plan for my life. So, um, it seems like Jesus this morning wants us to know that doing things isn't enough. We must be something. That's why I'm so glad Mickey could share this morning, right? Because um, he could have stopped when he started his, his search for the Lord and just just kept reading, but having none of it make any sense and just do the right things. But he didn't do that. He really wanted to know God. And so he asked God to help him to know God better. And that's when everything started to change. And that's what God wants to do for you. Maybe maybe you have been going through all the motions. You look like salt, but you're not really salty. God wants so much more for you. And some of us sometimes are really embarrassed about that. And we've, we've kind of acted the part for so long that we have to keep up appearances. We can't, we can't come to our brothers and sisters and say, you know what, I, I really wasn't what I claimed to be. We're too embarrassed to do that. There, there's shame that we put on each other. But the truth of the matter is, it's exactly where we need to be if that's us. And there should be no shame about it. <laughs> that's a beautiful thing to come to that realization. Because it means that God has changed you. Even if everyone thought it had happened a long time ago, but it happened today, it doesn't matter. It happened today. And others of us are hiding our light. We're suppressing, kind of quenching the Holy Spirit in some ways. And um, that's almost equally as bad. I don't know where where you are or what's going on, but most of us at some point will fall into one of those two camps probably. We can identify with it some way, shape, or form. And uh, this morning we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and it is awesome and beautiful and good, and it is uh, a unifying experience for us as the church to remember what Christ has done for us, giving us His body and pouring out His blood to redeem us of our sin. But we're told in the Scriptures that when we come to do this, we need to do it in a sober way. We shouldn't take this lightly. We really need to examine ourselves before we come and take this so that when we come to do it, we are doing it in truth, uh, guided by the Holy Spirit. It is a celebration that, that, that we are celebrating kind of what God has done in us. Not just what it looks like God has done in us, but what He has actually done in us. So this morning, we want to, I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward, and we're going to close out here. But before we, they can come forward. Before we, um, before we take the Lord's Supper, I maybe just wanted us to take a minute or two to pray. And I don't know if you guys could just play maybe something a little bit. Um, and I, I want to give you the opportunity to, to spend some time with the Lord confessing sin. And that's never fun, right? Because that, that challenges us to look at, Areas of our lives where we are broken, where we haven't measured up. Areas where we're embarrassed of. But it is so important and necessary. So I want us to ask the Holy Spirit to guide us in this. I'm going to pray for us just in a, in a moment to set the stage. And then I'm going to ask you in the kind of recesses of your heart and your spirit to pray as well.
ask the Lord to show us, we're going to ask the Lord to show us some areas where we're falling short, and then we're going to take time to confess that sin. If you want to do that in your seats, that is awesome and great and good. But if you need to move, that's okay too. If you want to come up here and bow at the front, if you want to go in the back and, and do something back there, that's fine too. If you need somebody to pray with you, we would love to do that. You can just raise your hand and I will come or another leader will come and pray with you. We want you to take a few minutes to just kind of confess that sin, allow the Lord to cleanse us of it so that when we can come, we can come not just in body, but we can come fully, our whole person engaged to celebrate the Lord's Supper so that we're just look like salt, so we're not covered up light, but we are exposed so that we are actually salty, so that we can celebrate in spirit and in truth. So let me lead us into prayer. Take some time to pray for yourselves, and then I'll close us out in that prayer. Father, we, uh, we thank you today um, for loving us. You know, there's, other than, you know, who, just based on who you are, your character, um, it, there's no reason why you should love us. We haven't done anything to deserve it. Um, we are kind of walking testimonies of that. Even after we come, become believers, we continue to fail you. And so, you know, as, as we're coming together this morning to celebrate, we, we really badly want to be salty salt, and we want to be uncovered light. But we know we can't do that on our own, and what keeps us from doing that is our sin. And particularly, the, a lot of times, it's that unconfessed sin. It's that stuff that we've been storing away in our spirits that just haunts us day in and day out that, we, that we're afraid to, to bring out and give it to you or to share it with somebody else because we're afraid of what you might think of us or what they might think of us. But this morning, Father, we, we deeply want to do that because we, we don't want to live in the shadows anymore and we don't want to just look like something that we're not anymore, but we actually want to be it. We want to, we want to be it out in, in front of everybody and, we, and we, we just through and through want to be exactly what you've designed us to be. So we know we need to get rid of that junk. So Lord, this morning, I'm just going to take a, a moment to confess some of that to you. And we pray, I pray, Lord, as, as my brothers and sisters do, that you would free them, Lord. You take off the shackles, anything that's hindering them, and that you would free them to live for you. And I, I pray that they would experience that today. Lord. In their minds, in their hearts, in their whole being, they would experience that freedom that we can have through your Son. And maybe there are some of us today, some of you today, who, who, who have never had a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're in that camp that has acted like you have for a long, long time, but actually haven't. Or maybe you've never acted like you've had a relationship with them. But today, you realize that you need one and you want one. If that's you today, we invite you to just invite Jesus into your life. Just confess your sin recognize who He is. Ask Him to forgive you. And then talk with somebody. So now, Father, we're coming to You individually, personally. We're going to confess some sin. Please, Father, please, Father, meet us in this place. Take some time now to confess your sin to the Lord.